Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Alicia Deitch, SVP of Business Marketing at AT&T. Alicia heads up marketing for the telco's B2B efforts, which means helping companies adopt AT&T technology from office wireless service to internet to adopting 5G. That obviously changed a lot this past year as business rapidly shifted to at-home work during the pandemic. Deitch, who has been with AT&T since 1991, talks about why B2B marketing is a misnomer, why businesses will be the first to kick off the 5G revolution, and what's made her stay at the same company for 30 years. Hey, Alicia, how are you? I'm good, Allison. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we before we get started, tell me a little bit about your role at AT&T because you're on more of the, the B2B side of the business. So talk to me about what you oversee. Sure. You're absolutely right. I run marketing for AT&T Business, which is that portion of AT&T that serves our business customers. Think of our very smallest to our very largest customers, including all of our public sector customers. So what that really means is that I'm responsible for planning and executing the marketing strategies that basically drive growth and promote brand loyalty. Sometimes we execute those strategies through sales teams. Sometimes we execute those strategies direct to customers. Hmm. And from a B2B perspective, which I'm hoping we can talk a little bit more about later on, um, to use a different term, from the perspective of enterprises that serve other business customers, both dimensions of that are really important. It's definitely a different marketing muscle than many of my colleagues who support end user customers. Some are the same, but some are very different. Yeah. So I guess, and we'll definitely get into the the conversation about B2B, but talk to me, like what are AT&T's business products? What are you selling to business customers? Sure. You know, at our core, Allison, we are a company that uh, makes our living in connecting, right? So we sell the connections that allow businesses to connect employees, that allow them to connect with their customers or to connect to their broader set of stakeholders, vendors, partners. So think about things like wireless services. That's a great example of our connections. We also sell connections that might more often show up inside of, say, an office type of environment or a physical space. We think of those as fiber-based connections. Sometimes people think of them as fixed services. But in the end, it really is broadband, internet services, and the pipes that we use to connect individual offices to other offices or to big data centers. In addition to those connections, we sell a lot of the additional applications and services that might ride on them. But again, they're all centered around how we help businesses connect. 
voice services, collaboration services, security services. So really, if you think AT&T and you think connections, you have a pretty good sense of what we sell. Got it. So it's, it's essentially similar to what you're selling on the consumer side. It's just maybe for for like more of an enterprise contract or, um, you know, hooking up an entire network of offices with Wi-Fi and, and uh, cell service and, and things like that. Exactly. And as a matter of fact, I'm glad you immediately saw that uh, because really from a broad-based AT&T perspective, our strategy is very much about those core connections, whether we're saving, serving consumers or whether we're serving businesses. So you're absolutely right. Got it. Um, yeah, I bet there's an interesting interplay between the two teams, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, so you mentioned that a lot of it has to do with office space. What was that like the past year? I mean, were you involved in helping companies go remote? Um, how did that change your focus? Yeah, it, it certainly has been an adventure, hasn't it? For, for all of us. Um, you know, I, I guess I would start with you know, at AT&T, we were like so many other companies dealing with how we address this for our own employee base and the safety of our employees, the safety of our customers, the safety of our partners. So there was the aspect of us all uh, or many of us anyway, um, working virtually or remote. Um, our frontline employees you know, folks who worked in retail stores or folks who might be actually provisioning some of those connections I talked about actually never went virtual. They were always out in the field uh, continuing to serve customers. But for a lot of us, it changed many of the motions around how we actually worked. And to your point, it also changed the way so many of our customers worked. And because of the nature of what we sell, there was a lot of demand for many of these things. I mean, if you think just for a minute about the way we use video conferencing and collaboration tools today, we, I'm going to guarantee you, we're not using them anywhere near to the extent that we do today before the pandemic. So this has been an enormous shift in terms of how we all operate in the spirit of doing work. And there's a really important role that AT&T has played and continues to play, whether it be at sort of that core connection level, whether it be about equipping a home office with broadband or wireless services, or it be about the collaboration services we're all using, or just Allison for a minute, think about as everyone becomes very distributed, mm -hmm. when you think about security in, in your business, needs to change too. Because historically, a lot of the ways we thought about security were all centered around the physical building mm -hmm. you were sitting in, right? There was equipment in that physical building that helped protect the data and information that went in and out of it. When everybody goes to work from home, that's a whole different thing, right? Um, there are a whole other set of factors that need to be considered. So it, it was a significant change. And much of what we focused on in those early days was being there 
for our customers and helping them determine what they would need, what kind of practices and policies, and of course, networking infrastructure they would need in order to allow them to operate, to continue to operate um, and, and move through this period of time. So it's, it's certainly been a period of change, both for us at AT&T in terms of how we work, but also for so many other businesses. So how does that change, um, you know, your focus as a marketer selling AT&T's B2B products? Like, did it adapt like the channels that you use, the customers that you went after, the way in which you went, you targeted them or the, the creative that you use? Like, talk about how it shifted your focus. Sure. I mean, I would tell you it didn't it didn't ultimately change who we serve. We still serve all the same customers we served before. There were certainly some sets of business customers in some industry sectors that were impacted very, very dramatically. Let's take retail as an example, or take hospitality, right? Places where we as consumers would physically go to a space and consume a product or service, uh, that simply was not happening. So as those companies needed to transform the way they operated, I would certainly tell you we spent a lot of time with those industry sectors that were most deeply impacted because the needs were so great. The transformation in those industries was so significant, right? So from a customer perspective and a targeting perspective, certainly we were oriented around helping helping companies solve problems that resulted from the pandemic and and all of the quarantining and the social distancing. In terms of how we marketed, you know, what's interesting about marketing that serves businesses is we have different tactics that we will often use than you would naturally see uh, in the consumer marketing space. And one of those is it is a an aspect of marketing that has historically relied quite a bit on in-person marketing tactics, events, right? Being a great example of that. And certainly anybody in this space saw um, the entire industry and then each of us as, as companies who had been participating in events shift to virtual experiences. And this was certainly a a very big shift for us. So as a company, we would um, regularly participate in any number of industry events where um, we would have opportunity to be with customers or be with media and journalists and influencers. Uh, Think of them as platforms for us to use, right? And then in addition to that, we also had our own events that we would run for, for business customers and prospects. So all of that shifted to virtual. So anything we did under the AT&T brand, if you will, owned and operated events, let's call them, um, shifted to things like webcasts, right? Mm -hmm. And saw this pretty extensively across the industry. Um, And I would say, you know, it really 
drove a whole lot of innovation. So through the course of these 18 months, let's call it now, you know, we took everything that had been happening physically and actually created, we call it the hub, but a you might call it a virtual world, even mm-hmm. Think about having a virtual expo where you could have access to what you might have otherwise needed to visit with us at an industry event to see mm-hmm. opportunities to talk about industries and solutions, specific problems that we know customers have and how we can help solve them. And it becomes now as we enter sort of this hybrid world, um, sort of a central point, we begin many of our, even those events that have started to go a little bit back to in-person, we start them in this this virtual environment. And, you know, we had to think really differently about how you create an amazing experience mm. for a customer. It's um, certainly about the content. It's about the discussion always. But, you know, when you have the opportunity to be in person with somebody, you can do amazing things. So we really started to experiment with that. So we did things like creating celebrity chef experiences for customers who were joining us at an event where we would actually ship to to customers' homes everything they would need to cook with Mm -hmm. one of our celebrity chefs and think an hour, 90 minutes. Um, And, you know, you got that experience as if you were in a kitchen with that celebrity chef. And, you know, even the greater part about that, well, that was very cool. For anybody who's a foodie, um, I a couple times, I have to tell you, I fangirled out because we had some pretty amazing chefs. I'm going to have to interrupt you. Who who were the chefs? <laughs> so one of one of the chefs, we had others, but um, Stephanie Izard, who uh, is based in Chicago, um, very regularly on the Food Network, um, the girl in the goat. She is amazing and she is such a great personality as well. She She's just been amazing in so many of the experiences we've created for customers. But the even better part is now we're actually connecting with customers in their homes, right? Yeah. When you think about that, it, it creates ironically, an intimacy that you don't get when you're all in, I don't know, a hotel or a restaurant itself, because you're actually connecting with people while they are in their own homes. And we always invite them to bring other household members to that kind of event. So whether it's a spouse or kids or a cousin, you know, people bring others to that kind of experience. And it's it's really turned into something, you know, that had you asked me beforehand, could you create something as compelling virtually? You know, I would have had some question, but, but having experienced that, there is a very unique and very special kind of experience you can create that way too. So for sure, lots of virtual. When I when I think about um, you know, broader based comms, you know, I would say that it has given us the opportunity to really dial in to personalization, mm-hmm. whether it be in this kind of virtual experience or even as we think about how we're connecting with an individual who works 
in that business and is an influencer or a decision maker, you know, we've used this time to focus quite a lot on understanding signals that we might be getting from those people so that we are as targeted and as personalized as we can absolutely be. And, and for me, I, I hope, I hope some of those things, the intimacy we got in those virtual event experiences or this personalization, the identification of that individual and not masking all our marketing behind this idea of I market to a company, you know, we don't, we don't yeah, yeah. We'll try to influence a company, right? But you're not marketing to a company. We'll talk about that, that, that B2B shift. Um, but first, what are, what are you missing about live? And as we sort of get into this hybrid world, which is a little bit in doubt now, I would say with the Delta variant, but we'll, we'll kind of still call it a hybrid world. Where do you see pulling from both? Like, where do you, what do you need back about the old world and what do you not want to go back? Yeah, you know, um, we've, we have dipped a toe in, I will tell you, um, here at AT&T, some of our hub locations, um, meaning big, bigger um, complexes where we operate from, including our headquarters, which is where I'm based, have reopened. We, of course, have all the policies you would expect to keep everyone as safe and healthy as, as absolutely possible. What, what I have missed and what I'm enjoying is I find it, um, well, there are great collaboration tools available. And I think you can absolutely advance work in a very collaborative way, virtually. Mm. I find innovation like if you're trying to come up with something really new and something really breakthrough and it requires, you know, discussion and debate, to me, those are things that fuel innovation. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the way, you know, video or conferencing technology works, in order for it to be effective, you can't have a lot of people talking at the same time. It's sort of um, a, a synchronous communication vehicle, right? So everyone needs to be very thoughtful and very timed in how they interject and make sure you're not talking over each other because then you can't hear each other. There's a little bit of the messiness of being in person and not being gated by some, some of that that I'm really enjoying. And I think it will help us all make sure that we not only have great collaboration, but we've got great innovation. Mm, Yeah. So how do you see like, um, you know, you're sort of thinking, talking now about, about AT&T, but how do you see your B2B services changing as companies go back to like a hybrid office environment? Oh, sure. Um, So, you know, I think we will continue to see, um, I can speak at least definitively here, um, that continued use of of virtual um, as a complement to in-person. So what I would tell you is we're thinking about it less as one or the other and beginning to think more in terms of hybrid. Mm -hmm. How do you create moments where there are some in-person experiences uh, or or people who are participating in person and some who are participating virtually. And how do you blend those two things so that 
you know, certainly throughout the course of the pandemic, we're careful about what people are comfortable with, but also think about the opportunity to bring people together post pandemic um, that won't have to travel or if travel would have precluded them from participating in person because there just wasn't enough time for them to get to wherever that was. We'll now be able to bring people together in much more fluid ways. I'll give you an example of that. Um, not only do we do a lot of events, but we've got a briefing center here at our headquarters location where we can actually bring clients into our facility. Um, and the great part about it is, go back to my point about intimacy, they're now in our home. Right. And we design days around that client, around what they need, what they want to talk about. We'll bring subject matter experts in. Uh, we'll talk about network. We, we will help design and innovate with them together. And what we've discovered is that's a perfect example to bridge that sort of in-person and virtual experience. And we've got some really cool technology that we're using um, where we actually, you know, in those kinds of meetings, they tend to be a little smaller, a little more focused. So let's say you had 10 people participating and you know, eight of them were going to be in person, but you had two that were going to participate virtually. Mm -hmm. We've actually built the rooms out in such a way where we have created the opportunity for a screen that follows the speakers in the room to be at the table. And that is how that remote or virtual participant shows up in the room. So we're actually putting that virtual participant at the table with everybody else. And it's starting to bridge that a little bit. I'm not saying you can you can do that in every possible circumstance, but but for sure in cases like that, you look for a way to blend those two things together. And I think for sure this idea of personalization and really being mindful of the fact that look, the tactics we relied on yesterday, let's just take a, a you know, a, a good old fashioned standby, you know, always working hard, direct mail. OK, mm -hmm. direct mail worked because people were in offices. Right. Yeah. How effective is my direct mail going to be if there's no one in that office on right. Tuesday when it arrives? So we have to be a lot more agile and be a lot more thoughtful about understanding and getting those signals that I talked about earlier about where people are and what might be an effective tactic to engage with them. So I think that is still my point about innovation. We're going to have to figure that out. It's one thing to say, okay, we're not going to do snail mail anymore. Everything's going to be email. But how do you think about this idea of blending those two things together? Yeah, so, sure. you know, we're contemplating for sure. Yeah. And, um, I want to pick up back up on, on something you've been alluding to this entire conversation, which is that, you know, B2B marketing, you're marketing to an individual at a business and not a business. Um, talk about your philosophy there, your beliefs and how you apply that at AT&T. 
Well, you know, I've, I've been doing this uh, for a lot of years. I am um, at a very large company like AT&T. You know, we, we have generalists and specialists. I would definitely say I declared my specialty a long time ago. So I've, I've seen many, much of the evolution of how um, many companies have thought about this idea of B2B. And it used to drive me crazy that we would talk about marketing to a company. Mm-hmm. Because the, the truth of this is there is no such thing. Marketing is intended to connect you with an individual and influence that individual to some end, whether it's to be aware of what it is we do, to consider what it is we do, to choose what it is we offer, but it's all about an individual, not a, a, a company. You can't market to a company. So when we talk about B2B, it's always felt um, a little off the mark to me because really who we're talking to is, is people, right? And it's even more important now when we start to think about you know, what the past 18 months has really introduced to us, um, which is this immense blending of our work lives and our personal lives. I mean, could you really say distinctly in the course of a day, if you were working from home, am I working or am I having a moment in my personal life at any given moment? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's um, it just yeah. seamlessly integrated those things. And I think this idea of B2P or business to person mm-hmm. is really where we all need to go, you know, and and think about those different facets of who we are at any given moment for a company like ours, where we serve um, individuals who may at one moment be a consumer buying a service from us. And in the next moment, be a decision maker who is employed by a company who might be considering one of our business services. That's a pretty powerful thing to wrap your head around. Right. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? Like, how do you talk to that one person as they float back and forth between being a professional and a person? Right. So I I think, you know, one of the things that we're starting to get a lot more focused on is thinking about our marketing across our our traditional um, to consumer and to business decision makers much more holistically uh, and being a lot more integrated about it. Um, And this, you know, I'm, I'm talking about just a starting point here, but here's a great example. Um, You said it yourself, some of the services we sell to businesses are fundamentally at a capability level, like what it does, very similar to the ones we offer to Mm -hmm. consumers. Yet we were addressing these individuals who could play both roles with very different marketing campaigns, very different messaging. Um, Sometimes we would orient it around different claims. And one of the things we've started to do is actually think about a continuum on a single marketing platform or a single campaign that sometimes dials into your personal experience and sometimes dials into your business 
business experience. Um, my favorite example of this is, you know, we have a, a spokesperson uh, that uh, addresses our, our wireless business traditionally um, in our consumer marketing. Her name is Lily. Lily is one of our retail store professionals, and she has become quite quite a character in her own right. And she has been featured in many, many of our of our commercials. But we actually never really carried her forward into any of our business related communications. So we've started to do that. Um, and we've actually seen really good success with things like that, where we're creating a broader message that that can transcend. So it doesn't look different and distinct and um, disconnected, right? Yeah. Um, it looks like it's from two companies. So I'm not going to, you know, I can't tell you, that, of course, that we'll do this for every single thing, but I think where it makes sense, we're going to look to take advantage of opportunities like that. And then I think the other thing that we're getting a lot smarter about, particularly when you think about um, someone who might be running a home-based business as an example. This is really where these two worlds collide a lot, not just the, the work from home employee of a large company, but someone who runs their business from their home. Mm -hmm. I use my husband as an example because he does that. Mm -hmm. You know, again, is is it about buying a consumer service or buying something that the business side of the house offers? And we're doing a lot of analytic and a lot of segmentation work that will allow us to much better understand needs that nice. particular subsegments have. So we're serving them with the right solutions um, at the right point in time. Right. So, so what, is, what does that require from the organization? Like, do you, have, do you work more closely with the consumer marketing team? Are you all using the same data set? Like, how are you bringing those things together? Actually, both. Uh, I would tell you this year we have worked more closely together with our consumer team than ever. Um, whether it be for our wireless services, whether it be for our broadband services, uh, and and really, I think. Um, it all comes from a very customer-centric view of the world, which is this idea, again, of B2P. So it starts there, but then also has implications in terms of how we think about product roadmaps, how we think about building out um, fiber footprint or cellular coverage. Those, those data points all come into play there as well. It helps us understand what the network needs will be in a different way. And then your point about data is such a very good one. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a very structured approach to how we think about and manage data across the entirety of the company particularly as it comes to um, ways that we can think about segmentation as it pertains to how we think about signals, creating audiences um, on the fly, you know, requires that we really have a, a very um, centralized approach to yeah. data and being able to tap, tap into that in a really agile way. 
So I want to I want to um, make sure that we talk a little bit about 5G, which I know is a big topic for you and for, for AT&T. Um, from my perspective, as a cynical journalist that I am, it's it's a lot of hype. <laughs> but where are we at? Where are we at now with 5G? Like where how is that incorporated into your plans for AT&T as a marketer? Where are businesses at with picking it up? Um, talk to me a little bit about the landscape. Sure. Well, first of all, let, let me just for a minute um, explain what 5G is. We all hear an awful lot about 5G. Um, it, you cannot get a piece of communication from someone who provides wireless services, undoubtedly, that does not include 5G. What 5G really is, you know, all this reference to G's <laughs> is nothing more than exposing the, the way we think about the generations of the technology as it pertains to broadband cellular network. And what that really means is this is the fifth generation of technology standards associated with us being able to offer wireless service. And what makes it different, because we've all sort of seen the, you know, 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G. What has continued to happen as we have gotten smarter and smarter from a technology perspective, and candidly, the demands of our end users have continued to increase. This fifth generation or 5G is really all about speed and something we call latency. And really all latency is, is think about it as the time between hitting the enter key and when something happens in the most simple terms. Right. So what this generation of technology allows you to do is some pretty remarkable things that weren't possible before. Now, before I get to what's so cool about it, let me just give you sort of where AT&T is on it, because you very rightly, and I'm sure many people think of it this way, talked a little bit about hype. And is it hype or is it real? So AT&T's nationwide 5G is available today to 250 million people across the country. So that's point one. We have, in addition to that, a very super fast 5G that's offered over millimeter wave spectrum, which allows that hugely increased latency performance and speed. Okay. We have that in parts of 38 cities and more than 20 venues in the United States. And by the end of 21, we'll have it in parts of 40 cities and 40 venues. Now, so what that really says is widely available today and this super fast, supercharged 5G, let's call it, which we call 5G plus, is rolling out in areas where it will be most impactful. And the reason I talk about venues is because of what 5G makes possible, right? When you think about what's really different in very low latency, very high speed technology like this is experiences. Think about uh, virtual reality. Think about augmented reality. Think about what would be possible in entertainment and retail spaces, sports venues, in healthcare. And these use cases are really developing real time. And what's 
really fascinating about this um, next evolution of technology is those use cases are developing first in businesses, not so much with the end user consumer. So, and by the way, um, you know, we will all be able to buy personal devices that are 5G enabled, of course. Um, but at an individual level using your device, yes, it will get you better lower latency, better latency and faster speeds. But really where this power becomes completely unlocked is in some of these business use cases. So let me give you a couple of examples. Um, we're working with uh, a company called JBG Smith to deliver the first 5G smart city. Mm. Okay. In Washington, DC. We're working with Delta Airlines to equip flight attendants with 5G enabled devices to improve not only the in-flight experience, but also to assist with attendant training and mm -hmm. certification. Uh, we're working really closely with universities, UConn, Purdue, uh, Texas A&M, uh, to build out research facilities for them to stand up 5G test beds that will allow them to support public and private sector organizations on these campuses to trial 5G powered applications. Think about connected vehicles, think about automated agriculture, or think about robotics. Mm. All of those things are possible with super low latency and incredibly fast speed, right? In a way that um, just weren't possible yesterday. So, so business will be business will be the real driver here of adoption is is the point. We are already seeing it. Again, you know, we'll all be able to use 5G as individual end users, but I think the real power in it is the experiences we'll be able to have um, that will be fueled by businesses deploying mm -hmm. different kinds of 5G experiences. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see uh, what that smart city looks like. I think that's interesting. Um, but I want to ask you a question more about your career um, as a marketer. You've been at AT&T since 1991. That is like very rare for marketers to stay anywhere for longer than three years, right? So <laughs> talk to me about what keeps you there. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I have often been asked this question because, of course, for anybody doing the math on that, it's a lot of time, right? And I think for me, um, it really comes down to a couple of things. One, um, working at a company like ours where we're big, Let, let's start there. We're big and there's a lot of different things to experience. Marketing isn't just one thing at AT&T. So there's a breadth of problems to help solve and a breadth of things to learn and uh, experience to have and development to get. So that's one. Um, there has been no shortage of that in my time. Had I hit a wall on that, I probably wouldn't have stayed. Mm -hmm. Had um, my relationship with the company not been what it is, um, I might not have stayed, right? But I'll tell you, um, I to me, 
it's it's been exactly what I just called it. It is a relationship and it takes both sides. What I get from the company and what I give to the company are meaningful to both sides. The day that that stops being an equal relationship, something will change. Either <laughs> the, company, the company will tell me they're done with the relationship or I'll tell them, right? But it has been a relationship that has, has worked. And, you know, I have had the opportunity to work with some amazing talent and just really great people uh, that many, many of whom, have stayed with the company for long periods of time. But, but again, to your point, many of whom also who have gone on to have other great careers at other places. And, you know, that, that network is, uh, is important and has always been. And then the third to me, I would tell you is, I don't think anybody stays at a company as long as I have, if you don't believe in what we do, you have to be in on what the mission is what what the company stands for right and to me this idea of connections has always been really really powerful because yes we sell technology that literally will connect one endpoint to another but what's really powerful to me is what's on the end of those endpoints right the people we are inside people's most special moments. You know, I was often uh, struck, I've, I've had a lot of time and opportunity to, to spend with our network team because we talk to our customers about the network and what, with the, what the network makes possible quite a bit. But, you know, the network itself is, is actually quite a reflection of the human condition. Because when you actually look at network traffic, it signals how important it is to us as human beings to connect. Mm. So when something extraordinary is happening, when the Olympics are happening, when an enormous tragedy like 9-11 was happening, our need to connect as people was obvious on the network. And to me, that always was so compelling because I, I want to be a part of that. I want to help people connect. So, yes, there are connections like wireless devices and broadband circuits. But but to me, the bigger purpose is connecting the people. Mm. And so so that's why I've stayed. Love that. Well, you're you're really living the brand purpose. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much, Alicia, for joining me. This has been such an interesting conversation um, and, and insight into part of AT&T's business that I think a lot of us don't often think about as consumers. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry. And we'll see you next time.